Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. I'm glad you tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Professor Harvey Carroll about the experience of illness. Welcome to the program. Hi. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I am um, a woman philosopher. I uh, trained in uh, Euro- European philosophy. I did my PhD on Heidegger and Freud, had a huge interest still doing psychoanalysis and European philosophy. And um, around about 2006, I uh, just after living in, in Australia, actually coming back to the UK, I was diagnosed with a very rare lung condition called lymphangiolyomyomatosis. And um, that obviously changed my, my personal life and my health and uh, concerns and so on. But it also got me onto philosophy of medicine. Uh, I started reading a lot of philosophy of medicine because at the time there wasn't a treatment for my um, condition and it was progressing quite fast and things were looking pretty grim at the time. Um, so I thought, well, you know, philosophy, uh, the, the, the ancient, uh, ancient wisdom, that's, that's where I should, I should go to find uh, solace and, and, and advice and support. Um, so I was very existentially lost. But when I started looking up for the philosophy of medicine material, I found um, almost all of it was, uh, was about the concept of disease and the concepts of health and some stuff in bioethics about, you know, sort of classical bioethical issues, uh, about, you know, abortion and assisted dying. And I couldn't really find anything uh, w- within philosophy of medicine that would, that would help me as, a, as, a, as an ill person. Um, until I stumbled across a series of papers by another uh, woman philosopher called S.K. Toombs, uh, papers from the, the late 1980s. And in those papers, she started talking about the experience of illness, the, what, what it is like to fall ill, to be ill, to cope with symptoms, to face society as an ill person and so on. Um, <clears throat> and I, I felt I've discovered a treasure trove. Um, and what I, I, I tried to do is to, is to develop the, the amazing work that she started doing in the late 80s and early 90s and to, uh, to create a framework of what I call a phenomenology of illness. And I say a phenomenology because it's, it's not, I'm not claiming it's, it's the only one. It's a, a framework using phenomenological ideas from philosophers such as Heidegger and, and Husserl and Sartre and Merleau-Ponty. Um, and 
and basically that was a, a real kind of career change in that my attention and my philosophical efforts have been have been turned to the experience of illness ever since like the personal is political isn't it really yeah absolutely absolutely i mean for me the the existential quest in my personal life was really mirrored by this philosophical quest to find um, to find a way to conceptualize and order and make sense of what was happening to me as, a, as somebody who's fallen ill. Right. Well, I, I was going to ask you what was it that inspired you to, to study illness, but I think you've really answered that. So um, would you have a definition of illness? Well, what would your definition of illness be? Well, I, I'm, I'm quite careful in my work to... Um, to distinguish between a few things. Um, I think an important distinction is between illness and disability. There is some overlap. I mean, illness can cause disability um, and <clears throat> some disabled people, I, I suppose, would also describe themselves as ill and some ill people as disabled, but they're actually quite distinct concepts. Another distinction, uh, really key to the phenomenological account that I, was, uh, I, I developed, is between illness and disease, where disease refers to the physiological process of uh, uh, whatever's happening in the physical body. So cancer cells dividing, um, the body loses the capacity to produce insulin, um, a hemorrhage in the brain, you know, the, those are the physiological processes. Um, but what I'm interested in is the, the illness, which is the experience of those physiological processes. And that duality, I think, is, is often missed, especially in kind of um, maybe medicalized ways of speaking about, about disease that very much focus on the physiological bodily processes, but neglects to explore the experience of living those, those changes to the body. So how does a person change? Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, can I just finish? Um, sure. Oh, yeah. what, is, what, is the, what is the definition of, of illness? Yeah, so another thing is um, I'm not so interested in transient mild illnesses. For example, if somebody has flu for a couple of days, I don't think it changes their life world uh, in the way that I'm intending to describe in my analysis. So I really I'm thinking about serious, chronic, and life-changing, sometimes life-limiting conditions that really um make make you force the ill person to sort of stop their habits and routines and life as it was up to that point and to really grapple with questions about their embodiment their mortality their relationships to other people and so on so i really focus on um on on serious illness and not the kind of transit illnesses simply because i think that those transit illnesses don't really cause a break in your habit Oh, you're, you've got flu for a couple of days and then you you get up and go back to how you were before. Um, and then the, the, the last distinction is between somatic and psychiatric illness. And because I don't have any personal experience of psychiatric disorder, I really try and talk about somatic illness. And there's some fantastic philosophers of psychiatry, Matthew Radcliffe, Lisa Bortolotti, um, and others who are doing that kind of work. So I try and focus on somatic illness. And it might be that some of what I say is applicable to psychiatric illness, to disability and so on, but I'm, I'm not speaking on behalf of those, um, of those, uh, those conditions. I want to delimit something quite narrow and specific, namely somatic 
serious illness. So how does a person change when they become ill? Um, in, in lots of ways. I mean, I would say the change is existential. And again, that is the problem with the medical account um, of, of, of disease is that it really very much focuses on <clears throat> the physiological changes and then on sort of any practical adjustments you might have to make. So maybe, say, in the case of diabetes, somebody has to um, check how many carbohydrates, calculate carbohydrates they're about to eat, or somebody with cancer has to undergo a certain uh, regime of, of, of uh, um, chemotherapy and radiotherapy and so on. But the question is, where is the person in all this? And the changes to, to, to the person are very intimately connected to the changes to the body. And that's an insight that I take from uh, Merleau-Ponty primarily, although other, other people have uh, discussed that as well. This idea that <clears throat> the person is inseparable from the body and that how the body is tells us um, or, or dictates or delimits how the person is going to be. So against a sort of dualistic approach that is often kind of valorized, I think, when we think about ill people um, saying, oh, yeah, their body was ravaged by disease, but their spirit or their soul, you know, floated free of that. I want to say the opposite. <clears throat> I want to say when your body is ravaged by disease, <clears throat> that is bound to change who you are as a person, what you can do in the world, your freedom, your, uh, your values, your way of relating to other people and to yourself. Um, here's just a, a small example. If somebody gets a, a, a poor prognosis, <clears throat> then obviously their conception of themselves in time or their, their temporal conception of, of life will change. And with it, their projects, their values, the, thing that, the things they think they can achieve um, if they've, they're given a, a poor prognosis. So in short, I think illness changes everything about the person. Um, and what we need to do, I think, in order to understand is study these changes in all their in all their you know, glorious detail and not reduce everything um, to, I guess there's, there's kind of two main stereotypes to beware of. Um, <clears throat> one is the kind of scylla of uh, the kind of medicalized language and way of speaking about illness, about disease that really reduces illness to disease and really focuses on, okay, this is the treatment, these are the next steps, these are the possible side effects. Let's, let's measure your you know, red blood cell count. And then the charybdis of, of very, very stereotyped sick roles that we have in society, um, thinking that um, illness is a, is a terrible tragedy, that living with a chronic disease ruins your life, um, that if you're very physically ill, then you're bound to also be unhappy, miserable, so, and that's the other problem. So we, we've got the medical tendency to reduce illness to disease. And then we've got the, the kind of societal tendency to um, view illness as stereotypically and monolithically bad. And I was really interested in bringing out the, the, the complexity and the nuance and the richness of illness experience and saying there isn't just one model, just one way of being ill. There's lots and lots of different ways. And um, being able to articulate the idiosyncrasies of each person's illness experience is, is a, an important philosophical project. And I, I can explain why later, if you like. OK, 
can there be wellness within illness? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's exactly what I was hoping to articulate in, in my work. So again, I think when you look at it from the outside, somebody getting a cancer diagnosis, you think, oh my God, this is disastrous. Their life is, their life is over. <clears throat> but actually, empirical studies show that even people undergoing active chemotherapy at the time of undergoing the chemotherapy don't report a substantially lower level of well-being compared to healthy controls. So we know that illness is an adversity, it's a challenge, it's a difficult thing to withstand. Um, but it also has all these kind of um, surprising side effects, if you like, in that they often invite or force or some, something in between. I call it a forceful invitation, but they invite people to reflect on their life. And that can be a source of you know, personal growth for a lot of people. A lot of people, um, you know, a lot of illness uh, uh, narratives say, well, I, you know, I've lived on this kind of autopilot. And then all of a sudden I was forced to really think about how I live as I do um, because of my diagnosis. Um, so the relationship between health and wellness is entirely complex. It's, in, it's not a simple linear relationship where um, increased health is necessarily brings with it increased happiness, not at all. So the interesting kind of headline facts are that chronically ill people with very you know, serious conditions are only slightly less happy than healthy controls. Um, and that although your happiness levels do take a hit at the time of diagnosis, people bounce back relatively quickly. So within about a year, under a year of diagnosis, people will return to their baseline level of well-being, whatever it was previous to their illness, previous to their diagnosis. And there's also a model within the nursing literature that I really like of wellness within illness. And the idea is that in chronic illness, it just becomes or can become um, just one of the background conditions to how you live, right? So we're all limited by our bodies in various ways, right? We can't fly, we can't breathe underwater, unassisted. And we don't normally think of these things as particularly tragic. We just think this is how our bodies work. This is, this is how we are in the world. And I think the idea is here that chronic illness can become a similar kind of background condition so during periods of stability, you know, in an illness like, say, diabetes that is well controlled, people can just forget about their illness. I mean, they still manage it, but it becomes very much something that recedes into the background. Um, and then at times of exacerbation or symptom progression or a, a disease progression, it comes into the foreground. You have to sort of attend to it. But there can be long, peaceful periods of stability. And in those periods, there is one can experience this wellness within illness, which I think people who haven't had any illness experiences find very bizarre. How can you not lament your illness and the difficulties it, it poses? So that's that's one thing to consider about the relationship between wellness and, and um, health. Um, the other thing is, you know, for me, it was really important to to see illness in the context of other adverse life events and challenges and to say, well, this is just one type of challenge that we face. And when we face challenges successfully in life, we come out the other side, you know, stronger, more reflective, more knowledgeable about ourselves. Um, I'm not saying all ill people are, you know, under the compulsion to undergo this, um, this self-improvement process. 
but that this is again one thing that you'd never find in somebody's medical notes the way in which people you know develop after they they deal with illness much in the same way that they might develop personally you know with the uh, psychologist um um, Jonathan Haidt calls post-traumatic growth. We grow out of difficult experiences and, and illness is, is no different. Um, now, obviously, I'm not saying, oh, this is a great idea. Let's just get ill and become edified by it. Not at all. But I am saying, given that, you know, we face adversity in life, whether we want to or not, we really ought to recognize the, the edifying potential of, of challenges such as illness. Now, people seem to be less accepting when an illness is, is not visible. Um, <clears throat> I think that's got the upsides and downsides. So I use oxygen to, to get around. And I must say that one of the worst aspects of it is the kind of social flack you get with lots of questions from people, lots of staring. Um, it can be pretty unpleasant and you have to really um you know develop ways of coping with that kind of unwanted attention but on the other hand you're right sort of you're advertising your your illness oh i've got something wrong with my lungs i'm walking around with with oxygen whereas i think you're right that having the um a, a hidden condition could be could be psychiatric could be anything really that isn't immediately visible um can make things more tricky in terms of sort of communicating your needs. Uh, but on the other hand, gives you, you know, more control over, over, you know, exposing yourself in that, in that way. So one thing that really bothered me initially when I was diagnosed is I felt like I was just kind of advertising that there's something wrong with me, quote unquote, when I was just walking down the street and that you gave complete strangers a lot of information about me that I didn't necessarily want them. Oh, that's great. Very interesting topic. Thanks so much for coming onto the program today. Thank you for having me, Beth. And I've been speaking with Professor Javi Carroll about the experience of illness. So glad you tuned in and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway. Mm-hmm.